Happy first Sunday after Easter. You know, we serve a risen Savior, and he is, he's right now, the Bible says Jesus is up in heaven, and he is pulling for you and me. He's interceding for us. We have an advocate for before the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is interceding for us, and he is our defense attorney before God. And so now the, the whole goal is to believe in him and to put our trust in him, that Christ, our living hope, as we sang during that worship song. What I want to talk about today is a new series, and the new series is called God's at War. God's at War. Because I don't know if you knew this, but uh, there is only one God. The Bible's very clear on that. First Timothy says there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But I tell you, in the, in the, in the human heart, uh, we tend to put Jesus and take him and move him off the throne, and we tend to get distracted, and we're prone to wander, as that hymn says, and we end up putting other gods, and we make them first place in our life and put them on the throne, and we need to guard that and watch out for that. So we're going to do a, a three-week series called Gods at War, Defeating the Idols that Battle for Our Hearts. I want to start with a story, and before I do that, I want to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God of heaven and earth, that you are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and because of you, we have a living hope through the resurrection of your Son, Jesus. So Lord, we want to stay close to you. We want to seek first you and your kingdom, and we want to keep you first place on the throne of our lives. So God, help us to recognize today and all through this week uh, what kinds of activities, thoughts, values come into our life that compete for first place and help them and, and help us to keep them in their proper place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There was an eight-year-old daughter and at bedtime she approached her daddy with a big smile and the girl said this, Daddy, would you like to hear the Ten Commandments? Well, he smiled back and he said, you mean to tell me that you memorized all of them? And she nodded and she said, uh-huh. And so the dad said, okay, well, let's hear them. And so the young daughter went on to recite the very words that Moses came down from the Mount Sinai to say to the children of Israel, written on stone tablets. Now, what I didn't mention to you yet was that this little girl's dad is a pastor. And so he said, that's wonderful, sweetheart. When she finished reciting the Ten Commandments word for word, he said, that's wonderful. Well done, sweetheart. Now, tell me this. Have you ever broken any of these commandments? And her happy smile kind of turned into a guilty smile. And uh, so she nodded slowly. Um, she, uh, he asked her, he said, honey, have you ever lied? And she nodded her head and said, yes. And have you ever wanted something that belonged to somebody else? And she says, yeah. Have you ever not honored your father and mother? And it's kind of a bummer for the little girl because she's so happy to recite the Ten Commandments and now he's asking her how many commandments she's broken and have you ever honored your not honored father and mother? And she let out a heavy sigh and lowered her head. But this is great because then her eyes brightened and she turned to her dad with a big smile and she says, Dad, I know one commandment that I've never broken. I've never made an idol. Well, maybe you've never carved Maybe you've never sculpted or molded an image in your life and then bowed down and worshiped it. But I still think 
that if you think about it a little deeper, all of us have made some idols at different times in our lives. You know, in the wilderness, you know, God had just rescued the Jewish people, the Hebrews. They were uh, over a million people, and they were slaves in Egypt. And God just rescued them out of, out of the hand of the mightiest nation on earth at that time. And now they're going into the wilderness, and God had promised to bring them into the promised land. And on the way, they're passing through the wilderness. And it wasn't supposed to initially at least last all that long. But God was going to make a covenant with his people, with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he's out there at Mount Sinai. God kept his promise to Moses. He says, I'm going to bring you back to this very mountain where he called God in the burning, where Moses call, was called by God in the burning bush to follow him and to be his deliverer and spokesman. So God kept his promise, brought Moses and the children of Israel right back to the foot of Mount Sinai, and he, he tells them what we call the top 10 of the commandments that are in the Hebrew Scriptures. And the second commandment says this, it says, you shall not make, do we have, I don't know, do we have anything up on the screen? Is it coming? It's behind me. Okay, great. It says, you, I can't see, so you... Yes, I, you know, God is omnipresent and he can see all things at all times. And I'm glad he can't, but I'm not. You shall not make, here's number two commandment. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Pretty clear message. Don't make any image at all because what we humans tend to do is we create something, we form an image, we build something, and then we look to it and we start to worship it rather than God. Now, I seriously doubt, as this woman, uh, as this young girl sort of uh, boasted to her dad, hey, dad, I never broke that commandment. I never made an idol. I seriously doubt that you've knelt before a golden statue and here's my caveat, unless you're a Hollywood actor or actress. <laughs> but anyway, you've never bowed down to an image like that. I seriously uh, doubt that you've carved an image and then bowed down to worship it. You know, that whole idea that just sounds so archaic. It's idolatry like that seems so primitive, so irrelevant to our time in which we're living today. Like, like seriously bowing down, worshiping a sculpture, an image why don't we talk about rain dancing or why don't we talk about going out and plowing the field with your oxen or going, uh, or going to see a witch doctor? You know, I, it, aren't we past all that kind of stuff? But here's the question I have for you today. What if, what if we are no longer bowing with our heads and kneeling with our knees? What if we are instead, what if we are bowing and kneeling with our imaginations? What if we're bowing with our checkbooks? What if we're kneeling with our calendars or with our search engines? You know, in the Bible, there are over a thousand references to idolatry. In the first five books of the Old Testament, what we call the Torah, you know, from Genesis through Deuteronomy, the books of Moses, in that uh, body of, of literature, there are over 50 laws specifically that aim against idolatry. You think God and Moses thought that idolatry was a big deal? It's a major stumbling block to watch out for and avoid. 
even in the New Testament. So you say, oh, that, well, that's Old Testament, that's Old Covenant, that's for God and the, and the Hebrew people, that's not for me because I follow Christ, I'm a member of the New Covenant, not the Old Covenant, doesn't really apply to me today until you find the last verse of the first letter that John wrote to the church. And John says this, the very last verse, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. Let's go back to Mount Sinai. Let's go back to the very place where God gave Moses the very first of the Ten Commandments. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 2. I'm sorry, not Deuteronomy, Exodus. It's also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So in Exodus chapter 20, God says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, that's a key expression, this God's command here, where he says, before me, no other gods before me. You could also translate that command, you shall not prefer any other gods to me. And I also think a good understanding of this uh, Hebrew phrase before me is the term in my presence. So think about translating God's command this way, you shall not have any other gods in my presence presence. It's as if God is saying, if you think of your life and if you see me and, and think of me as just sort of the top, the CEO of this organizational chart of your life, if that's the way you're thinking of me, then that's not good enough. He says, I'm not just going to be the CEO of your organiz organizational chart. I'm not going to be president of the board. God says, I am the board. And your life won't work right until every executive and all the others that are sitting around the table of the boardroom that's governing your life, until all of them, if they're all clamoring for the chairmanship of the board, all those other people at the, at the executive table, he says, you need to fire them. You need to fire any, any other uh, rival to the throne where God occupies in your heart. I want to tell you the story of a, of a man who was struggling with a certain idol in his life. It says, this guy in his 30s, he came into the pastor's office. He wanted to have a serious talk. He's a member of their church, and, and as he came in, the pastor noticed he was obviously really down, really sad and dejected. And after a little bit of chit-chat, he looked down at his shoes and he said, Pastor, I think I'm addicted to pornography or something. And the pastor replied, okay. Well, you're not the first person to come in here and say these words. How long has this been a struggle for you? And he tells a story, he tells a story about how about 20 years ago, starting at age 12 with some other guy friends around the neighborhood that he saw certain pictures that someone had smuggled in from his dad's closet. These pictures disturbed him at first, but were also fascinating and they lodged in his mind. They wouldn't go away. And then the man talked about how he hates the internet. He described the internet like he was his mortal enemy. You know, in the old days, he said, people had to go to these stores, these cheap seedy places, you know, the ones with the windows painted over, shameful places. But now with the internet, it's anonymous. And it's so easy. Any kind of picture you want, any video you're looking for is at your fingertips. And there's instant gratification anytime you feel like it. He sounded like a man in prison, sounded who's, like a man who's wearily given up any attempt to escape. 
What am I supposed to do? Unplug the computer, he asked. I need the internet for work. And even if I had just my phone, I can pull up images there too. The man said he had no idea what pornography would do to his life. He did seem to understand how it has changed the way that he views and interacts with women. The thing is, he said, is that you come to see pornography, it's just like an itch. But it's an, it's an itch that never goes away. And you have to scratch. And you have to scratch harder and deeper as time goes by, you know? And the pastor nodded his head and he said, I know. And there's silence for a moment. And maybe the man thinks the pastor is going to give him some good advice. And none of this is bad advice, what I'm about to say. But maybe he thinks the pastor is going to say, okay, well, here's what you need to do. First thing you got to do, you got to put a strong filter on your internet. You need to get into a support group. You need to find an accountability partner. And you need to redirect your eyes. Now, all this is good advice, and all this can be helpful. But it's not, this is not what the pastor first said to him. You see, until that idol of pornography, until that is dethroned in his life, he is going to enjoy no real intimacy in his relationships, and he's always going to struggle to find any real intimate connection with God. And so this is what the pastor said to him. He said, you think that what you have is a lust problem, but I'm telling you that what you really have is a worship problem. The question you have to answer in your life is this, will you worship God or will you worship sex? The man squinted his eyes back at the pastor and he said, you know, I've never really thought about it like that. Let's go back to the command. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You know, it's so interesting as we read the stories about Israel, about God's chosen people in the Jewish scriptures and how we Christ followers, you know, we call that the Old Testament because we're part of the New Covenant or the New Testament. And Moses, as God's prophet and spokesman and representative to the people, Moses leads the people, leads them out of slavery in Egypt, and they go out on the desert. And God is taking care of them every single day. He's giving them miraculous food from heaven called manna. He's protecting them with a large cloud by day. He's protecting them with a pillar of fire over the camp by night. They always can look and see the, the miraculous presence of God going with them. But after a month or so, they come down, they travel all the way down to Mount Sinai. Now, that's, of course, what I just told you. It's the place of the burning bush. It's the place where Moses first encountered God, the great I Am, who called him to be the prophet. And Moses goes up on the mountain now to meet with God because God says, I want to make a covenant with these people. And, and Moses says, okay. And God says, and I need to give you what the commandments are going to be for this, this agreement that God is going to make with the children of Israel. And so Moses goes up on the mountain, he meets with God, and while God uh, is up there meeting with Moses, giving him these commandments, which we just read, uh, the people down there in the valley, the people at the foot of Mount Sinai, they're doing something that's very different. Because after a while, some time passed, and the people started wondering. In fact, they asked Aaron, Moses' brother, they said, where did Moses go? 
He's up on the mountain. We don't know where he is. We don't know what he's doing up there. We don't know if God took him, maybe took him like Enoch. We don't know if he's coming back down or not. So Aaron, here's what we want you to do. The people began to clamor to Aaron for a God to lead them. And so Aaron said, okay, gather up all your gold jewelry and earrings. And they gathered up everyone's gold and jewelry and they put it into the fire and they fashioned a golden calf. And guess what? The golden calf, and this is the most interesting thing to me when you think about it. All these people were witnessing people taking off their earrings and their nose rings and whatever gold jewelry you have, and they're throwing this into a big pile. And they're seeing this, okay, this is stuff that I used to wear on my person, and I'm throwing it over here in this pile, and now they're going to heat up this pile, and they're going to melt down the gold, and they fashion a golden calf out of this gold, and they make the golden calf, and they put the golden calf up on a pedestal, and the next thing you know, the children of Israel are bowing down, and they're worshiping the golden calf, and they're saying, here is our God. Here is the Lord who led us out of Egypt. That's not the God who led you out of Egypt. That's a pile of gold that you just took off yourself and you threw into the, into the basket. But that's the way the human heart is. It's, it's sad that they traded the worship of their creator and they started worshiping created things. That's the first move away from God, according to Romans, according to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter one. They moved away from what was what their, who their creator was and they started worshiping their creation. And, and how sad, the this, this shameful activity. Of course, God knew exactly what they were doing. Moses did not. But as Moses is coming down from the mountain, God says, hey, Moses, you got a big problem down there because of what the people are doing. And it made both God and Moses pretty angry. Some years later, there's a psalm writer in Psalm number 106. And this writer is reflecting on the whole history of Israel, of how God called his people out of Egypt and he carried them all along the way and he led them and guided them. And every once in a while, and he says, and you know what God's people did as a thank you to God? They drifted off. They wandered away into idolatry. This is a, the commentary that the psalmist says about what happened here about worshiping the golden calf. It says the people made a calf at Mount Sinai. Notice God didn't make the calf. The calf wasn't even a natural part of creation. The calf wasn't even something that, quote, fell out of heaven or what some of these other religions say. That's why they worship whatever it is. It says they made it themselves. They bowed before an image made of gold. They traded their glorious God for a statue of a grass-eating bull. <laughs> it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad. Pastor Tim Keller writes this when he was writing about idols. He is, he's got a great perspective on what idols really are in the modern age, in the 21st century. Pastor Tim Keller says this, when anything in life is an, absolutely, is an absolute requirement for your happiness. In other words, you see something in your life and you said, if this, was, if this were taken away from me, I could not be happy in life. If, if that is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it has essentially become an idol, something you are actually worshiping. And when such a thing is threatened, in other words, that's threatened that, it takes, that it's taken away, what is your emotional response? If you can become really 
angry or really fearful or really desperate, stressed out, if, if you feel that what might be taken away from you is threatening, then it very well could be an idol. You might ask your, yourself, if, if you can find that despite, for example, like think about a relationship too, in, with people in our life, if you find that despite all the efforts to forgive somebody, that your anger and your bitterness, it cannot subside, it cannot go away, you might want to think a little deeper. You might want to dig a little more and ask yourself, say, what am I defending? What is so important here that I cannot live without? I want to tell you the story of a young woman. Because here's another case study, a conversation with a pastor and a young woman. Because this woman's parents, they were Christians, they were members of the church, and they were very concerned for their daughter. And so they wanted the pastor to go and talk to their daughter, you know, like a lot of people do. Pastor, please meet with her. You can fix her. We can't seem to reach her, but maybe you can talk to her and, and talk some sense into her. And so the pastor agreed, and he said, okay. So the pastor goes and talks with this young woman, and the re what prompted the conversation was she was getting ready to move in with her boyfriend. And so her, obviously her parents are upset, and they, and they don't want it to happen. And her first response in the conversation with the pastor, he says, I can't believe my parents. I can't believe they're making such a big deal out of this. And the pastor asked her, he said, do you think it's possible that you've got this backwards? And it sort of stopped her in her tracks, and she looked up, and she said, what do you mean? And the pastor explained that, that instead of making a big deal out of nothing, could it be that you're making nothing out of a big deal? And she responded with nervous laughter again, and she said, it's not a big deal. And so the pastor asked, well, have you ever thought about how much moving in together is, how much this is going to cost you? And she said, you mean the cost of the apartment? And the pastor said, no, I'm not talking about the cost of the apartment. I'm not talking about money. What I'm talking about is the way your family feels about it and the pressure you're getting from them. That's kind of a price to pay, isn't it? She says, well, I guess so. I guess it's a price to pay. But you know what? Really, that's their problem. And so he asked, well, what do you think this is going to cost you and your future marriage? And she said, uh, I don't think I'm going to be getting married to this guy. And the pastor leaned in and he said, oh, I'm not necessarily talking about you're marrying this guy that you're moving in with, because according to the statistics, it's more likely that you won't be marrying him. What I'm asking is, in the future, down the line, how much is this move going to cost your future husband? What price will he have to pay for this decision that you're making? Because here's what I suggest, the pastor said, if you're willing to pay a price this high, then this moving in together idea, this must be really important to you. It must be a big deal if you're willing to go through all this. When I see the sacrifices you're willing to make, when I see the fact that you're willing to ignore what God has to say about all this, when you're ignoring the advice of your parents, it seems to me that maybe you're turning this relationship into a God. And she recoiled from him. She says, what? Turn into a God? What are you talking about? And the pastor said, a God is what we sacrifice for and what we pursue. From where I sit, you have the Lord God on one side saying one thing to you, and you have your boyfriend on the other side saying something else. And it looks like in this moment, you're choosing your boyfriend over God. 
That's called idolatry. And actually, that's a really big deal. And she paused and she looked at him and she said, you know, I've never thought of it that way before. The truth is, friends, idolatry, it's not something that phased out at the end of the Old Testament. John, the aging apostle, remember what he warned us. The last verse of, the, of his letter, he said, little children, he said, keep yourselves from idols. I think the old apostle was saying, Christians, followers of Christ, watch out for any kind of teaching. Watch out for any person, any value. Watch out for any kind of ambition that threatens to take first place in your life. An idol is anything that leads you away from Jesus Christ as your Lord and your leader. And if you don't watch out, you're going to start living for this other thing instead of living for the Lord. And so really, idolatry is not just, quote, an issue in our lives. Idolatry really is the issue in our lives because all roads lead to the same place. Whatever the symptoms are in our life, whatever, they could be money problems, they could be relationship problems, they could be forgiveness issues, they could be pornography, they could be anger problems or worry problems. The root issue is always going to be the same. The root issue is always going to be idolatry because in some way down the road, something happened and you've bumped God off the throne of your life and now you're living with something else as your highest priority. And so the warning is anything at all, anything at all can become an idol in your life. Ask yourself this question. What is it that turns an activity or an attitude? What is it just some regular activity, some regular thing that you do in your life? What is it that turns that thing into an idol? And the answer is whenever that thing becomes a substitute for God in your life, whenever you get to the point you say, I cannot live without this. I, I, I can't imagine going on in my life unless I have this. So here's the point. Idolatry is the tree from which all the sins and the struggles grow. Idolatry is always going to be the issue. The issue is always going to be not making God the first person that you want to please the most. Idolatry always happens when we choose something else, when we try to make that other thing Whatever it is, we try to make the other thing the most important thing in your life. And so I just recall, I just say, remember this. This is your fill in the blank for your, for your sermon message today. Remember these first two commandments. Very simple, very simple to say, very simple to recite, very hard to live out. First, the very first commandments, no other gods but gods. Don't have any other gods in my presence. Don't have anything else in your life that competes with God for first place. And the second commandment is this, no making any other gods to worship. Don't throw your jewelry into a basket and have a golden calf pop out and then start bowing down and worship that. And you say, oh, that's ridiculous. But we do that with plenty of other things. So how, here, here's the question for us now. How do you and I stay on track? How do we recognize and prevent idols from creeping in? How do we keep them from taking up residence in our hearts? I think we should do what the Apostle John told us to do right before he said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. 
You know, every verse in the Bible has a context. And what I always like is, is I went back and I said, okay, what did John say to do right before he said, little children, keep yourselves from idols? And this is what he said to stay on the right track. He said, and we know that the Son of God, Jesus himself, Jesus has come and he has now given us understanding so that we can know the true God. Eternal life is a relationship. We can know the true God. I write these things. Remember that John said earlier, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know the one true God. You can know that you have eternal life. You can be secure in that relationship with him. And then he says, and now we live in fellowship. In other words, God is our friend. He's not just the one who created us and made us. He's not just the one who gave us rules to live by. He is our friend. We have an advocate who goes before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He says, we, have, we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. And then now talking about Jesus, He is the only true God. He is eternal life. When you stay close to Jesus, when you put Him first place in your life, when you say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. If those are the two greatest commandments, it is not, it is not hard to keep the other 10 commandments. That was kind of a, a difficult one to phrase. But in other words, you keep those first two commandments about loving God with all your heart and loving, neighbor, loving your neighbor as yourself, and those 10 commandments that Moses brought down from the mountain, they're not that hard, they're not that hard to keep as well. The way to keep idols away from your heart is to grow closer to Jesus. I mean, it's pretty simple. We had a pastor that used to say, you know, the best way to live life is just Matthew 6, 33 it. And you're like, well, that's great if I knew what that verse says. But Matthew 6, 33 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And notice it said, seek first. Don't just make it a part of your life. Don't just add it to the menu of your life. Don't just say, like, I'm just going to tag this along with, with all the other things I'm doing with my life, and I'll just throw a little God in there with it. No, Jesus said, you want to be a Christ follower, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Know Jesus better. Live in fellowship with him. Read his word every day. Pray with him every day. Prayer, there's nothing that develops a relationship like with Jesus, like prayer, like praying with him, following his teachings, making his kingdom your number one priority. And then try to see when you look around and try to see everything else in your life. And you say, I look around and I say, what, are, what am I living for? What are my, my main activities? What do I look forward to doing every single day? Look at everything in your life and ask the question, God, is this something, whatever I'm going to do, is this something that's going to honor you with, with my life, or is this something that's going to pull me away from you? Because we're either moving toward God or we're moving away from God. There's really no neutral. There's no like you just stay still and say, God, I'm not necessarily going toward you. I'm not going against you. I'm just sort of in the middle. We're always in flux. We're always either moving toward God and oneness with him or toward another direction and isolation away from God. See everything in your life that way. Come closer to God. Look what James says. Oh, man. The half-brother of Jesus writing this letter. He says these powerful words in chapter 4. He says, in another translation says, draw near to God. Maybe you're used to that translation. But he says, come closer to God, and God 
will come closer to you. So if you look around or you, you sense where your life is and you say, God, I just don't feel that close to you anymore, I think God's first question is going to say, well, who moved? Come closer to God and God will come closer to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And James says earlier in the letter, a double-minded person is unstable in all his ways. So when you have God as first place, everything else falls in the, into the right place. So we want to we follow John. We want to follow Moses. Have no other gods before me. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Seek first the kingdom of God. And everything Jesus said is going to work out the way God wants it to work out. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the choir now to come up. They're going to get ready to sing this final song for our service today. Before they sing, I would like us to have a word of prayer Let's go to God together. Will you please bow your heads? Dear God, our Father in heaven, Lord, we know that you're the creator. That, that means you made us. You made us, each one of us, and you made us unique. You made us as unique, one-of-a-kind creatures in your image. And God, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know our hearts, you know what the proclivities of our mind is, you know what our temptations are that face us uniquely, whatever it is that pulls us away from you, Lord, you know us. And so God, we're asking you to help us. We're asking you to help us identify, open our eyes and help us to see what are the things that draw us away from you? What are the things that make our hearts wander away from Christ? And Lord, so we're asking you to give us that revelation, the discernment, so that we can see those things. What is pulling us away from you, our first love? God, please, in our lives, build us, build in us the good desire that we have in our hearts. Build that desire to know you better, to pray with you every day. God, continue to show us your ways, that your ways are the best ways and that we are most blessed and enriched in our lives when we love you with all of our hearts and when we love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us to, to, to realize that truth and reinforce it every day in our lives. Lord, we, we ask to help us keep away from idols, keep away from any competitor to you be in first place. And we ask these things in the matchless name of your son, Jesus. Amen.